This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be another adapted OrthoBullets Core webinar from the OrthoBullets Core curriculum, and this one will cover prosthetic joint infections from the recon section. The topic will be reviewed by Dr. Javad Pervizi, who is a joint replacement surgeon and a professor of orthopedic surgery at the Rothman Institute and Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. Question on 65-year-old complaining of intermittent knee pain 12 years after total knee. And basically, the patient uh, comes in with pain and the radiographs loosening of the component, particularly the femur, and there's areas of osteolysis underneath the tibial tray. And this is, again, question uh, is trying to test your knowledge of what the thresholds are for the aspiration and whether this is representative of infection or not. As we talked about 10, C-reactive protein of 10 milligram per liter, ESR of 30. These are the uh, MSIS uh, uh, thresholds. And the cell count of 3,000. So here we have 7,500. Neutrophil differential of 80%, and here's 90. So clearly, this is an infected joint. Grand stain is negative. We'll talk about this later. Grand stain is pretty useless. It's unlikely you'd be asked about its sensitivity and specificity. So here, what's the uh, available uh, solution? So here, the right answer would be explantation of the components. Aeroportic joint infection. So let's talk about that. The incidence is probably around 2% after knees and around 1.5% after hips, much higher after revisions. Active infection is one that occurs within four weeks of index arthroplasty or as a result of hematogenous spread of uh, organisms to the implant. And there are some risk factors that result in joint infection. And of these, that would most likely would be asked is immunocompromised status, diabetes, patients who are on disease-modifying biological agents, such as anti-TNF agents, malnutrition, smoking, and excessive alcohol consumption, and obviously intravenous drug abuse. So a whole list of risk factors. Most commonly is gram-positive cocci, but this is an ever-changing science. The more we discover about infection, the more of the so-called non-pathogenic organisms are being considered and recognized as true pathogens. Prophylaxis, screening uh, nasal mepirocin for MSSA and MRSA reduction has been shown to reduce the incidence of infection. It is not known whether uh, that is as a result of the screening itself and or administration of the appropriate intravenous antibiotics, but certainly there are quite a few studies showing that it can lead to a reduction. Urine culture or screening is not warranted preoperatively. The international consensus recommends DMARC being stopped for six weeks prior to surgery. And we will uh, learn about this more as more uh, studies and uh, consensus statements come out. It is important to administer antibiotics within 30 minutes. WHO has now extended that time to two hours. CDC recommends that it's done within 30 minutes. CDC feels that one dose of antibiotics is enough. Uh, but at this point, 24 hours is the so-called standard of care. If you were to operate in an operating room, very important to operate with a positive uh, ventilation system. Laminar flow certainly is one. WHO, interestingly, is recommending against the use of laminar flow in total joint arthroplasty. 
but CDC has not made any recommendations regarding the type of operating room. And at this point, we don't know exactly what to do with regard to administration of antibiotics following surgery during uh, dental procedures. ADA, American Diabetes Association, feels that this is not warranted, but most of us surgeons administered for the first two years following joint replacement, unlikely to be asked in the exam. Acute infection, one that occurs within three weeks, but as I said, CDC has extended that to 90 days. It is usually thought that uh, acute can be treated by irrigation, debridement, and retention of the prosthesis because infection hasn't had a chance to cause osteomyelitis, internalize, or cause biofilm formation, although that's debatable now. But when it becomes chronic, it is important to consider removal of the prosthesis as biofilm forms on the surface of the implant that results in the formation of glycocalyx and uh, enveloping of the organisms. History is usually pain. It might be associated with some recent event, in particular wound-related problems, uh, recent bacteremia, ulceration in the extremity, etc. And any time a patient with a prosthesis presents with pain, infection should certainly be suspected. On a physical examination, usually sinus tract is obviously a definite sign of infection. There may be redness and also drainage, maybe low-grade fever in some patients, and motion is restricted and painful. Radiographs are definitely necessary, but they are not always that helpful. They can certainly show you loosening, Occasionally, they might show you periosteal reaction, which is a sign of infection. They may occasionally show involucrum, abscess formation, and extensive osteolysis, particularly if it's focal, is suggestive of infection. Autoscan, really pretty useless test, very unlikely to give you much data, low sensitivity and specificity, and at this point, scan should be reserved for cases in which you have attempted two sets of aspiration and have not been able to obtain any fluid. PET scan, very useful, but not available widely, very expensive and cumbersome, and its sensitivity and specificity is no better than aspiration alone. White blood cell in serum is really not very useful unless the patient is systemically sick, in which case there is left uh, shift. But ESR and CRPs are still done as uh, screening. And again, we've talked about the thresholds. In chronic, it's 10 milligram per liter. Acute is 100 for C-reactive protein. ESR in the acute setting really doesn't have much role, but in chronic, 30. Serum markers such as interleukin-6 have been tested in the past but it appears that their level seems to be affected by the time from surgery, much like CRAC protein and ESR. Thresholds are not absolutely determined, and interleukin-6 is not available in all centers to be done, but a useful test nonetheless. MSI's criteria, you should really know this. Major criteria, which is sinus tract or a pathogen being isolated from two separate tissue or fluid, and minor criteria when four out of these six criteria may be present. The uh, diagnostic uh, algorithm, uh, we won't go into too much details, but basically, American Academy recommends that you do lab tests, 
C-reactive protein and ESR. And the next step would be aspiration of the joint. And aspiration should be sent for cell count, neutrophil differential, and culture. And at my institution, we also do leukocyte esterase, which is part of the international consensus criteria. Gram stain, pretty useless, as I mentioned earlier. And if you have aspirated the joint and you did not obtain any fluid or adequate fluid, the best is to re-aspirate the joint in another occasion. Microbiology, definitive diagnosis can be made if the same organism is obtained from the culture or the tissue. Histology, useful, particularly in cases where you suspect infection but haven't been able to prove it. The most important thing about histology is you must obtain it from an area where there's not too much of fibrin, exudates, etc. And secondly, is that uh, your musculoskeletal pathologist who reads the histology needs to be familiar with the samples being processed. At this point, five PMNs per high power field in greater than five high power field is probable for infection. Molecular testing, PCR, uh, molecular markers such as uh, alpha defense and leukocyte, etc. The future is going to be exciting with development of further tests such as uh, next generation sequencing. Treatment. Non-operative is really not an option very much for a fit person. Anybody who cannot undergo surgery may be suppressed with antibiotics, but otherwise it's important to consider surgery. Surgery can be done either as irrigation, debridement, retention of components, for patients presenting with early infection, well-fixed and well-positioned components, and possibly an infection with a low virulent organism. The success of the procedure is very technique dependent. The more of the surgical debridement you do and the bio-burden reduce, the higher the likelihood of success for there. What a stage. It is an important armamentarium for treatment of these patients available in Europe and at the moment a clinical trial is under underway in the United States to try to evaluate its utility and also determine the indications for this procedure. But the Europeans will agree that you shouldn't do a water stage exchange. A patient who have compromised soft tissues and you're unable to close it, patient who has systemic toxicity and they are systemically ill, and possibly organism has not been identified. So culture negative may not be a great option. Success rate, depending on how you define success, between 75 to 100%. Two-stage exchange, still the most preferred method in North America. I wouldn't call it gold standard, but certainly the preferred method. And it has a success rate between 70 to 90%. And the success of this is really dependent on the immune stats of the host, the type of organism you're dealing with, the degree of osteomyelitis and soft tissue involvement, and also the uh, efficiency and the proficiency of surgical debridement, both during the first and the second procedure. Salvage operation for patients who failed prior attempts at eradication of infection, that definition is fluid, varies from one surgeon to another and from one study to another. 
But I would say that a patient who's undergone at least two two stage exchanges previously should be considered for a salvage operation, which is either resection arthroplasty for the hip, arthrodesis for the knee, and amputation for the knee and possibly the hip. Two-stage exchange, I'm sure all of you know, it involves two operations. The first one is excessive attention to debridement of all the foreign material, placement of an antibiotic cement spacer that increases the local delivery of antibiotics, and then reimplantation at a later date. This spacer can be either static or dynamic or articulating, and there are pros and cons to each of those, but the most important appeal of dynamic is that it allows the patients to bend the knee to some extent and become functional with the hip, but they can dislocate, they can fracture, and they can certainly dislodge. The static spacer, on the other hand, doesn't have those disadvantages, but it does carry higher morbidity for the patient and functional compromise. Articulating spaces are either made in the operating room during your resection arthroplasty or prefabricated. The prefabricated spaces may not contain adequate antibiotics. An illusion of antibiotic does depend on the cement porosity, surface area, and the antibiotic concentration. So the higher the concentration, higher the local delivery of antibiotics. And because of that, you might consider fashioning the spacer intraoperatively. Two-stage arthroplasty involves administration of antibiotics for a period of four to six weeks. That period keeps changing. Europeans believe even as the as short as two weeks may be adequate. But in the examination, you should really choose four to six weeks of intravenous antibiotic. The most preferred uh, antibiotic is first-generation cephalosporin or vancomycin for methicillin-resistant organisms. Reimplantation, when infection appears to be under control, soft tissues have healed, and patient serology is tending towards normalizing. And during this time, you get another opportunity to do debridement. That's all for this review on prosthetic joint infections. If you would like access to the full video version of these core webinars, sign up for the OrthoBullets core curriculum today. There will be a link in the show notes for anyone who is interested. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. Thanks so much for listening. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. See you all tomorrow.